All right. So, uh, Dr. Eric Helms, thank you so much for being back on the channel. I lost count at this point, but you've been here for a lot of times already, which I'm honored to say. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for being here. It's always a pleasure, Abel. And uh, I hope one day to be your first double-digit guest. So we'll have to actually count backwards, figure out when that happens. But I'd be honored. Yeah, I mean, you might be. You might be close. Actually, I remember last November or so. I said that was the fifth time, and since then you've been back like twice. six times for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Maybe you're at eight or nine. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Sweet, we're close, brother. 2020, it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, let's hope so. Um, so, Eric, uh, considering the fact that you have competed in bodybuilding, which meant that you've been pretty much dieting uh, mildly, sometimes not so mildly, starving yourself for, what is it, six months or so, uh, you've been over the diet, you've been recovering from all the dieting, um, so in light of that, I'm asking you not just in the typical kind of cliche question sense, but in a genuine sense, uh, how are you? <laughs> yeah. So let's see. I started my diet December 18th and I finished it August 10th that night. <laughs> um, and then of course, just for reference, anyone who hasn't followed along in the audience, that is a, a, a non-linear diet. So that means there was, uh, I think two one week diet breaks along the way. Um, the official, official phase where I was in a calorie deficit ended in June and then July and August was kind of that slow walk up towards, uh, towards maintenance and sustaining condition. And then it was purposeful weight gain since August 10th. So I'm sitting right around 95, 96 kilos and my lowest depleted weigh in was like 79.5 and my kind of on stage carved up weight was around 81, 82. So as far as like actual body fat gain, I've probably put on maybe maybe close to 10 kilos of body fat. I mean, there's a fair amount of glycogen and water and just the weight of food and uh, regaining lost muscle tissue and then actually expanding the amount of glycogen you can hold on to, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, that's where I'm at. Um, so it's been August to September, September to October, October to November, now November to December. It's been, I think, 18 weeks maybe of uh, being in a calorie surplus. Uh, and I'm actually probably getting closer to just calorie maintenance now because I've been kind of hanging around this body weight for, I'd say, three weeks. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, how am I feeling? I feel good. And I think I think I am... It's a funny experience when you go through a long prep uh, where you don't quite remember what normal felt like because it's the slow slide towards being in a dieted state. And then you kind of climb back out. Um, and even in you, when you do a more aggressive approach like the quote-unquote recovery diet and intentionally trying to gain weight and not try to like maintain your condition while eating at maintenance and slowly going up, um, even though your body recovers much faster doing that, uh, the, the experience is kind of like every month you're like, oh, this is normal. And then you go, oh, no, this is normal. Right. It's like, oh, oh, this is really normal. And I think now it's been... I haven't experienced that for about a full month and like I went to New York and came back and it's been three weeks since then and I you like you can tell like what your food behaviors when you're on vacation and what your body weight does and um, there's like a number of things I, I pay attention to like do I have a semi-regular uh, bowel movement schedule like is my digestion still messed up no it's pretty normal now and do I am I is my sleep normal yeah it's pretty normal do I have libido again yes I do do I 
uh, lick plates? No, I don't. Like, do I leave some food behind when we eat out? Yeah, if I'm if I'm not hungry, I, I actually get full. So I would say I'm pretty much. Um, if I'm not 100%, I'm so close that I don't know what 100% might feel like. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there's there's just so much to to unpack there because, I mean, first of all, you've been dieting for several months, and there's a lot of things that happen there where you're kind of gradually shifting away from being your normal self and there's a lot of things that we could talk about there um because i've been honestly fascinated by your contest prep i mean you're probably not <laughs> listening to this podcast regularly you have more important things to do but you've been a, a big talking point on this podcast when i was talking to other people mm -hmm. here and uh, we've been kind of following along your journey and i brought your case up several times just how crazy it was for me to see how incredibly busy you were during your contest prep, just mm. how many things you were involved with, especially because like I told you uh, before the before we went on air, but my listeners will know that I've been kind of dieting to my personal leanest level while you were doing your diet. And I knew just how much my productivity and just will to be engaged with life at a certain point just suffered and just vanished, basically diminished completely. In light of that, seeing what you were doing was was insane to me. So maybe let's start there for one second before we get into the actual recovery process. Like, um, how do you look back at your contest prep in, in terms of was there a point where you were like, man, it's cool that I can do all these things while I'm dieting, but... I'm not sure how long I can take this. <laughs> yeah, there was um, there was phases to it, man. So um, I've been kind of collecting my. As you were talking first, just that's that's really something I'm, I'm honored to hear that I was a uh, topic of conversation, and that was something that's um, that was fascinating and and uh, and maybe a model. I think um, for perspective, this is my fourth contest prep season. You know, I did I was seven oh nine in 2011 before this time, and then I've coached a lot of people over the last 10 years. So um, the one thing I don't want to give people the impression of as I talk about my experience and um, kind of the self-awareness and the and the things I've, I'm doing is that this isn't just, oh, there's a right and a wrong way to do it, and this is the right way, and this is what happens if you do it perfect, yay. It's more like this is part of the skill that, that a, a competitive physique athlete develops or, or maybe a, you know, a fitness model who gets very lean semi-regularly, but anyone who has to diet, um, repeated times throughout a career and is striving to do it better and is aware that there are, you know, qualitative ways to make life better while doing it, this will, I think will happen. And you can't expect it in your first or even second season. Um, but it's all about kind of looking for ways to improve that process. So anyway, so I was reflecting back as you were talking about, um, that, and I was thinking, all right, so there was definitely a point where uh, things got worse and very difficult, and I had to be very, very intentional with how I let that affect my life and what I did and didn't do in my life. Um, but early on, I was, you know, after implementing all this stuff and coming back to the contest prep experience after eight years of having not done it, I was a little bit in shock myself just with how smooth things went and how productive I was and how not negatively affected I was. And that was probably the phase from December, I would say all the way through uh, May. Um, and then in June was where to kind of go from, I would say classic physique level of conditioning to, although shoot with, you know, Bumstead now that that's, there's almost no distinction. I guess if we're talking about uh, in the drug-free ranks, 
what tip, in the federations that have classic physique and bodybuilding, you will typically see a slightly lower conditioning standard for classic physique. In the enhanced ranks, it's really mostly just dis- the distinction is how much, you know, how enhanced are you? But you still get really, really lean. So anyway, that that depending on the audience, they that may or may not make sense. But basically, when I was um, what we call legally shredded, once you've just started to get the hints of glute striations and you're lean everywhere, but you're not like absolutely ridiculously peeled everywhere, I was still feeling really good. Um, and if anything, my productivity was higher for a while. Uh, you become very goal oriented. Um, that can cause issues because, you know, once you become very focused, it means other things don't have your focus. But I was actually ahead on blog posts. We were way ahead on Iron Culture podcast episodes. Um, I was on top of uh, a lot of work and I was um, really engaged with uh, my, my students, my new students who'd come out here to AUT. Um, in the last year, I've had um, three PhD students from the primary supervisor for move to New Zealand to do their research. Um, but anyway, th- th- this, this will kind of encapsulate the, the turning point. There was a point, like I said, in June where to get to that level of going from legally shredded to absolutely peeled, where you're, 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 you're most competitive if you make it through and can, can maintain that condition and keep your muscle mass and, you know, peak well on stage, um, it gets really hard. There's almost no way of avoiding it. And it doesn't really have to do with the approach you take anymore. It's the state your body's in. Uh, at least that's what it seems like. And um, the digging phase to get there and then the maintenance phase where I was there uh, was, was pretty difficult. Um, and I was chatting with one of my PhD students who I'm a secondary supervisor for who's been around uh, a long enough time to see me pre-diet, in the middle of diet, and then the different diet phases, and then now post-recovery. And she was like, you did a really good job of hiding it, but I could still tell. Like, um, one of the things that made me laugh that she says is, you know, you're, you're normally a very, like, attentive uh, and a supervisor sits down, meets with your students and tries to help them. But when you were in a certain phase of your diet, you would try to make meetings go a little faster and you would try to be very, very efficient with your time and then you just just disappear. And uh, it, I started laughing immediately because I knew I knew exactly when she was talking about. There was a period where... I only had so much like social fuel. And then at a certain point, I knew that I'd be burned out, irritable, not, not as good at listening, um, you know, less compassionate and less able to focus and be present with someone and connect. So when I came in, <laughs> like in, uh, say, June or later uh, during for, for meetings with people, I'd set things up. So I'd have like one meeting and the next meeting right after it. Uh, I'd be like taking notes, very, very goal oriented, be like, sweet, great. You're good to go. Got any other questions? Awesome. And then I then I'd leave and I get out of the building before I could have the opportunity to be a dick. So <laughs> it was it was really funny to me to hear that, um, that I one of my goals as someone who does a lot of things with my life and tries to be um, involved in the lives of other others in a, either a mentoring capacity or a partnership capacity um, or a coaching capacity, etc. Is that I don't want my you know ridiculous sporting decisions of competing in you know semi-starvation lifting uh, to negatively affect other people. So I think I did a pretty good job of of doing that, but it was it was interesting to see that there was still some visible change. Um, you know, the, of, of me kind of mitigating that experience. And that, that's one little small aspect of it. But man, there's so much we could talk about. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is massive. And um, like just that topic alone, because it's, it's funny you use the phrase social fuel, uh, because probably that is, for example, different be- between people. I mean, we can talk about how extroverted or introverted you are. Like, I think my baseline level of social fuel is probably just a lot smaller than yours. So for me, it started to go really quickly during my diet. And again, I didn't get nearly as peeled as, as you did. Um, do you think that during earlier preps, for example, your social fuel during dieting would have been worse than it was now? Or this is something that it wouldn't suffer as much as maybe other areas of, of your life, which suffers from a physiological standpoint, like sleep quality, energy levels, things like that? Or what do you think? Yeah, it's also interconnected, right? So like if if I do experience more issues with sleep, then the negative sleep will make me worse at other things, you know? So it all has this kind of, it's so interconnected and interdependent that there's all these knock-on effects. It's hard to tease out what's what. Uh, But I can say that it, of course, interacts with who you are at kind of your quote-unquote baseline. You know, your well-fed, not lean person is going to be very similar to the person who's starved, but with obviously worse at some things at a certain point and at a certain point better at some things, you know, like the... um, there's a few case studies where you actually see mood state improve in the early phases of prep before it then kind of falls off a precipice. Um, uh, I'm thinking of Rossau 2013, but uh, and that that was my experience too. Like, but it, that that changes season to season, so um, it's kind of a messed up thing. Like a lot of the the things that people perceive 3D muscle journey talking about, like being more holistic and more balanced, etc. You know, someone who's super super hardcore and doesn't know us that well and doesn't really pay attention just thinks, oh, they're a little soft and they're not valuing, you know, like, like winning above all else. Like you need to sacrifice to win. You need to go in at a certain time. And the funny thing is, is that we, we do value those things. We just only make the concessions we need to. And, and the ironic thing is that a lot of the times, uh, the reason why we emphasize that more holistic approach and only getting as lean as you're able to emotionally handle in one season to the next is that as you get better at it, it then allows you to push further because you experience less trauma getting semi-lean so that you can then experience you can allow yourself to experience more trauma to get leaner so this is the leanest i've ever been you know and <clears throat> getting to where i had been previously was easy but pushing to these new levels of leanness uh, and and uh, displaying the best physique i ever have to date um, i only could get there because i took a more holistic integrated approach learned from prior preps uh, you know, tried to become more resilient, pushed the boundaries of my comfort zones and expanded them so I could do more during prep. But uh, once I actually got to that, that really, really shredded condition, there was kind of like no avoiding the suck. Um, so our approach is one that takes kind of a bigger picture, longer, more strategic approach rather than just fix the problem in front of you tactical approach, which is kind of the uh, traditional bodybuilding approach. And what I mean by that is that traditionally a bodybuilder will take, you know, a, a comparatively shorter prep, you know, eight to 16 weeks and try to control their environment to get really, really shredded. Uh, they will not go out with, with friends. They will become more socially limited. They won't travel. They'll sometimes even take time off work close to competitions. Uh, they won't do anything extra and they will kind of just be doing the bare minimum to get by in life. Uh, one thing we joke about sometimes is that when we get video reports from our athletes at 3DMJ, you can sell, you can tell how bad they're beat up during prep because they'll stop like cleaning the room. Like you look behind them, and like stuff like that starts to fall off, and you know that all they really have uh, energy for is like the diet itself. And 
the traditional approach, like if you look at eating cleaner and cleaner and, and not going out to eat or not doing these things, or I can't train with my friends and I just do cardio, like and come home and just kind of sequestering yourself. It's all in service of controlling your environment so you can push yourself further. And that's effective. However, it does reduce your resiliency. So it's like maximizing the short term at the cost of becoming a bodybuilder who is more, more, more resilient to what life throws at you. So what we try to do with our athletes is try to give them, uh, you know, opportunities to challenge themselves and see, oh, shit, I can eat out sometimes or I can travel or I can uh, go on a trip. I can have a vacation in the middle of my diet. Some folks followed Jeff Albert's journey. You know, he was training with a 40-pound water jug while in Mexico uh, and on, on vacation with his family but still getting leaner and doing a guest posing two weeks later having gone back to Mexico after going back to the States you know, and uh, so he did some pretty insane stuff too, just like I did. And he's got two kids and a wife, you know. So it's that's the type of thing that a bodybuilder will never have the opportunity to do if they use that traditional approach. And sometimes those behaviors, uh, because they like if you're not successful with them, uh, the the pathway forward in that culture is oh, I got to get even more hardcore, and that can mean. You know, emphasizing the short term even more by trying to control your environment even more, crossing more X's, circling more O's, dotting more I's, crossing more T's, and then just really becoming more and more of a bodybuilder and less and less of a human. And eventually that results in burnout. And, you know, you might have gotten better for a couple of years before just going out that this sport really is, uh, is, is, is destructive of life. You know, either your life explodes or you get out before it does. Um, but what we have tried to accomplish is giving people the opportunity to get better and better um, with integrating life with bodybuilding so they can have a longer career while being more successful. But it does it does require us making some decisions that are difficult for competitors at certain stages. Like, hey, I really don't think we should push to get leaner. You know, you're struggling as is, and there's always going to be another season. You know, you're only 20. Uh, is it a reasonable goal to try to get your pro card this year when someone like Jeff Alberts didn't get it until he was 38? You know, like... So it, we ask our athletes to not just repeat the cliche that bodybuilding is a marathon, not a sprint, but to actually acknowledge that and make decisions so that they can actually finish that marathon instead of being someone who is like, yeah, I used to bodybuild in my 20s. And then, you know, after an eating disorder and a divorce, I, <laughs> I changed, you know, that, that's, that's kind of what we're trying to avoid. But it's difficult to uh, understand that when you're in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that said, like you mentioned, that uh, earlier preps of yours were maybe objectively or on an absolute scale, they were easier because you didn't get as lean. But as you're hitting your own personal kind of PR in terms of leanness, it's always going to be more difficult subjectively. Um, so what I would be curious of is, even though you did an amazing job and you were as engaged with life as someone could ever be during a prep, but can you now look back at certain stages, like you mentioned, your colleague commenting on your um, shortness during meetings and things like that, that you look back at a certain point or a certain time and you can say like, man, I really wish I could have done that better or I really just wasn't myself. Like to give you a funny example, um, I have these funny memories from my diet now where I was Skyping with someone and this was this very wordy, like long-winded guy that I was talking to. And he was just talking so slowly and it was late at night and I was super lethargic and hungry. And as he was talking, I found myself looking for a button on Skype with which I could speed up his talking. 
<laughs> and then I had to realize that that button doesn't exist. It's just my mind is playing tricks on me at this point. So, like, can you think of some, like, messed up things, maybe not as specific as this one, but where you think, like, man, I really wasn't myself at that time? Yeah, absolutely. I think there were um, there were moments where I was shorter with people um, than, I, than I wish I'd been. Yeah, you know, like the the goal is to not have to apologize for being a dick. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so I think of the times when I, and you know, sometimes in life, diet or not, I, I am a dick, unfortunately. And you know, kind of my personal philosophy is, you know, try not to be, but when you are, make it right. Um, and I did find myself having to make it right a few more times than than I would have liked. Um, and that that includes interactions with some of my colleagues. It includes interactions with. Just people who might have asked me a question uh, online, you know, and it might have been something where I felt like I'd answered it already and I'd got short or, or annoyed, um, or it could have been an interaction with my wife. I think that definitely happened, and I noticed it It really didn't start happening until I got to that phase. Like, I, I mean, it was, it was a, a veritable cakewalk through May, um, and getting to where I had been previously in terms of conditioning and having it be so easy allowed me to push further and for it to get uh, harder. But I mean, this was still the easiest prep I've had uh, in 07, 09, and, and 2011, even though I didn't get as lean, uh, they were harder. And that's, that's kind of that interesting reality where as you get better and better at this, because you're doing it for a competitive reason, um, you can kind of, it's almost kind of like progressive overload. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I remember when I was a personal trainer, um, you know, I'd have a, a client and they'd start and they can do, you know, let's say, you know, 20 pound dumbbells for 10. And the next time they come in, I give them, you know, 20 pound dumbbells. They do a set of 10. They're like, man, that was easy. This is great. And they have this light in their eyes and they're so new to weight training. They go, that's great. I, it was hard last week. It's nice to see that it is going to get getting easier. And I, you know, smile and go, yeah, if we'd stayed at 20, but here's some 25s, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and then it feels, and they're like, this feels exactly like 20 did. And then I, you have to kind of reframe it and be like, and isn't that awesome? Like now you can put forth the same level of effort uh, and it's a high level of effort, but you're, you're lifting much more weight. You're lifting 25% more load. You're in that much better shape. You know, yeah. your, your bone mineral density is improved or whatever message you try to get them to be happy about that instead of realizing and having this existential crisis that it never really gets easier. You just up the overload <laughs> so that it still is hard. Um, so that that's kind of the the same experience I think a bodybuilder has uh, until they get to that point where they've reached their quote unquote peak conditioning. And I think um, I think from now on it'll be interesting because uh, you know the reason I stopped my season in August um, and I did consider going further um, was because the I was I had placed second a number of times and missed out on getting uh, pro status a number of times, and I had won some small shows but they weren't pro qualifiers. Uh, and each time I had placed second, it was to someone who was just simply a better bodybuilder than me. Like if I had gotten leaner, I don't think I could have beaten them. And kind of the harsh truth there was that, you know, like, sure, it's a subjective sport. If I did enough shows, I would eventually be that guy and get the pro card. But the, the main work that my physique needs, and it probably will be this way for a long time or forever, maybe, um, is that I need more muscle mass. I need to look bigger. That's just simply not, I've, I've gotten the most bigness I can out of, um, you know, like nonlinear dieting, peaking well, pushing the carb load, you know, having diet, you know, diet breaks and eating up into shows, regaining muscle and getting that fullness back. 
Uh, and I kind of peaked somewhere around like, you know, July and August. I looked the biggest and leanest I'd ever been out simultaneously and peaked well on stage and still couldn't, you know, overcome some of the more uh, kind of uh, mesomorphic bodies that I was that I was coming up against in the more competitive shows. So I, I was like, you know what? I got to take a few more years off, you know, come back when I'm 40 and uh, and see if I if I put on enough muscle mass to to edge being closer to that guy on more occasions than not. So I think anyway, the the next time I, I diet down, it'll be a whole new chapter because I will be trying to get just as lean. I, I mean, I, I, I probably could get some measure of lean leanness higher, but it's not the kind of thing that would be that noticeable. I mean, when you have striated glutes from top to bottom and you can't really find any visible subcutaneous fat. Um, there is a certain standard of conditioning that once you get there, it's like, shit, you're, you're shredded, you know? Um, and, uh, and then once you get there, you're getting back there, but trying to uh, improve other aspects of your physique. So, um, you know, in 09, I got almost this lean, but I didn't, I didn't have the physique to match it. 2011, I, I had a, a better physique, but didn't get quite as lean. And I, I had, I won my pro card in a different federation early. So I, I shut the diet down. So this was the first time I've kind of, um, I, I maxed out the, the conditioning goal or, or, or so close to it that it, uh, any, any improvements in the future won't be, you know, anything like light years ahead of what I've done. So the next time I diet down, it'll be trying to get to that same place, but making it easier. Um, and, you know, I, I think there, there hopefully will be some opportunity to do that because this time, you know, I got back to the conditioning level I was at in 2011, uh, in 2009, and it was very, very easy. Um, but back in 2009, 2011, man, it was very difficult. So it's kind of like this odd game uh, where, you know, the, the further you push, the harder it gets and the harder it is to go further. It's like, um, it's like you're running a race, but the further you get along the race, the tr you're on a treadmill that starts running the other direction, you know, and by the very end, you might be sprinting and it's going backwards at just maybe one mile per hour less than your sprint. So you're putting forth all this effort and barely <laughs> moving forward. Um, and the, the fatigue and the effort required to get there is kind of this, uh, this ever increasing amount to get less ground. And, you know, it's very likely that you could trip and fall and get thrown backwards on the treadmill quite a bit. That's called, you know, sometimes a season ending injury for a bodybuilder involves, you know, pizza. So, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a very strange relationship. So, so for me, I think I look at that, not only as just getting leaner and, and how hard is it to, to stay on the plan, but also, and how much does that leak into my life? And I'm simply not someone who, uh, for my personal goals, will let it leak into the, into my life to a point that is, uh, what I deem unreasonable, you know, like if I am uh, harming my relationship with my significant other, not just occasionally being a dick, or if I'm like not serving my students or my clients or or my my business partners, instead of just saying, "Hey, can we schedule this next week?" You know, and that was kind of the worst it got during this prep. And I I think we talked about this one of the times I was on. Sometimes I would purposely schedule refeeds or diet breaks. Uh, around times when I had a high workload, not when I thought it would be quote unquote physiologically optimal. In the long run, ended up being physiological optimal because if I mess up those other things, it creates more stress in my life, which causes issues. But um, but yeah, I, I think it, early on, it was easier to make kind of those objective uh, competition-based decisions. Like my very first diet break, I want to say was in February. And that was more like, you know, I've been dieting eight weeks, we should we should pull the trigger. And then, you know, the next one was, okay, we just did a show, we pushed hard to get there, uh, but we do need to get leaner. 
And the answer now isn't just to keep digging. Let's have a diet break. And then when I get back from, from, from Italy, we've got a nice stretch of May and June, and that's when we'll, we'll strike. Um, and, uh, you know, I made the decision in June probably uh, that wouldn't be on paper the best thing to do. I wouldn't do it with a client to dig for three weeks at a very low calorie intake um, because I knew I had a window where other people didn't need uh, me to be 100% air counts, you know. Um, so I was running around 60% for three weeks and I got in condition faster and I'm sure I lost some muscle. I definitely lost some fullness and I definitely lost some sanity, but then I was able to spend, you know, three weeks eating up before my next show. And that was able to coincide with when then I had to do start traveling for conferences. You know, I was a week out from my last, uh, you know, like the last three shows I did, you know, a week out, I was in Melbourne at, uh, the UEBC and then the next show, a week out, I was the 10-year 3DM, 3DMJ party that we had in, in, uh, in Sacramento. And then a couple weeks after my, my, my show in Sacramento, I was in London a week out from my last show uh, at the EPC. So I needed to be available, present, able to connect, and, uh, and experiencing living life in, in, uh, in June, late June, July, and August. And... Um, it, I, I did think I did the best I could with that scenario. I was eating maintenance calories. I was walking around on you know twenty four to twenty eight hundred calories by the end, which was what was keeping my weight stable. Um, but it, it, an interesting thing happened that once I got to that kind of crazy level of conditioning, I could only walk back the clock of suck so much. You know the the way I conceptualized it is that I had a difficulty of say one to three, maybe four at most during the digging phase in April, right before I got on stage. Um, and then in June, it got up to like an eight, like not the hardest I've ever been during prep, but really, really difficult. Uh, and then as I walked food up, it never quite went below that five or four. I was hoping to get back down to one through three, but just being shredded, you know, even on days, right? 2,800 calories. I'd wake up in the middle of the night. I'd be short. I'd feel lethargic. Uh, I couldn't focus as well. I was just not as smart. I found that I was making more errors when I typed. Uh, it took me longer to, to, to get articles done. I went from being ahead on the 3DMJ blog to actually being behind. And um, it was a good thing I was ahead because I had some runway to limp on before I kind of ran out. And like, for example, the uh, we had to release the 3DMJ lifting library. Here's a specific example. Uh, later than we intended, we were adding new new chapters to it, if you will, new exercise uh, videos with, with descriptions. And I do the voiceovers and, and the write-ups for how they work in the programming. And we did release, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the intended edition, but it came out a lot closer to the end of the year versus the middle of the year. And that was just because I, I couldn't get the, uh, the gumption up to do it. Um, so that was one of those cases where I was like, you know, I look back, I was like, that affected me, uh, more than I thought it would. And I think in my mind, I was thinking that once I was able to walk my calories back up, uh, I would be back to the way I was. And this was just the effect of digging. Uh, and that's when I really started to think about, you know, it's not just uh, what you have to do to get lean. It's also the, at a certain phase, being really, really lean, like unreasonably lean is very difficult. Um, because if you are someone who's like a sports fan, you can look at certain athletes in certain sports. They are damn near stage condition or, or acceptable stage condition sometimes. And, and you, know, you, know, you know, they're living life, you know, they go home and they have a normal dinner or whatever. Uh, but they're also a hundred meter sprinter who might even have light glute striations just doing their thing. And you know, they're not, you know, going through all of the attention to detail that a bodybuilder does. Uh, it might be close, you know, um, but it's just simply not, not the same culture. And, and you go, oh, are we doing something wrong? And I think not necessarily, 
Um, but you should really only be experiencing that kind of level of suck that bodybuilders talk about when you're in the later stages of your career to get into those kind of, oh man, only shredded bodybuilders get that lean. Um, I think it's it's normal early in your career to experience them not getting quite as lean because you're still learning the ropes and it requires more behavior change. You have less habits to fall back on and the relative comparative experiences uh, you don't have. You know, Having shitty preps in the past to compare to it's a relief to feel things being hard, but not nearly as hard. And it changes your perspective of what is difficult and what is something you can sustain uh, when you can compare it to things that were incredibly difficult in the past where you didn't even get as lean. So I think that that, that kind of experience is what makes um, older competitors or more seasoned competitors, I should say, able to sustain longer diets, maintain condition for longer, improve over time. Uh, and uh, while you might see first-timers or second-timers, if they do get lean, they get really messed up in the process and struggle in the off-season, uh, or they just don't get that lean, or you see them backslide or struggle, and uh, it's much less sustainable. You know, they might be able to get to the same place, but at a cost that comes out in the short term or drives them away from the sport or means they have to take a multi-year off-season uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that was that was an amazing monologue, and uh, you answered a whole bunch of uh, sub questions that I had. Um, and I think actually we can uh, transition over to your recovery process um, because you know it's tough because obviously you're someone who you know you're a seasoned competitor and you've seen all the different potential outcomes that could come at the end of a really severe diet. So you've done everything. You binged yourself up to a significantly higher body weight compared to where you started a diet. You've done reverse dieting, and now you did a recovery diet, and you're one of the people who created the recovery diet. But at the same time, I would imagine that just like how the diet itself has its stages and your level of clarity and your just ability to be rational, manage everything as well as you could kind of changes over time. I would assume that the recovery process also happened in stages. And there's so many aspects of, of this, like, obviously, no matter how rational you are, and how much of an kind of objective look you have on this whole thing, I'm assuming when you get as shredded as you did, you kind of fall in love with that shredded physique, even though you're a coach, and you're a scientist, you kind of have that kind of bias that develops inside of you, I would imagine. So how was the whole process of letting go of the physique, adding on body weight, um, maybe seeing yourself behaving around food in a way that you didn't for a long time? Like, how was that whole process internally? Uh, can you give us some, some insight on that? Hey guys, sorry, just a short interruption. Mainly doing this because people have been asking me a lot in private messages on Instagram and Facebook and email whether I'm doing online coaching and the answer is actually yes. Maybe I've been doing a bad job promoting this so far, but in each video description, if you go to the show notes, you will always see a Calendly link there where you can book a free call, where we can chat on a call for up to 45 minutes. We can talk about your goals, what you would like to achieve, and whether or not you and I are a good fit for a coach-client relationship and can effectively work together to achieve your goals in the most efficient way possible. So if that is something of interest to you, then you can check the show notes wherever you're listening or watching this. There will be a Calendly link where you can just book that free call and we can move forward from there. So that's all I had to say for now. Let's continue with the show. Yeah, I'd say for one, absolutely, you really 
uh, frame that correctly. Um, no matter what intentions I might have had going into it, I ended up being of multiple minds and at war with myself internally and knowing what I should do. And now looking backwards, thankful that I didn't go against what I should do, but it was a mental struggle to do it. Even being a coach, even being the creator of, you know, the recovery diet along with the rest of the team, 3DMJ, um, and knowing what's best on paper, it was a very uh, difficult process. Um, now, one thing that I really want to point out and I thought would be cool to talk about is that I actually did reverse diet before I did a recovery diet. You know, the, and of course, you know, I, I don't want to mischaracterize reverse dieting. People use that term in a lot of ways. And I sometimes use it as kind of a punching bag. Um at least in its worst form, to highlight the issues because it can be so bad. Um, so the I think the worst iteration of a reverse diet is slowly, slowly walking up your calories. Once your season's over and you're done, you're not even going to compete next year. You know, you're looking at a multi, uh, at least a season off before you're getting back on stage to slowly walk your calories up, creeping out of a deficit, uh, getting to maintenance, slowly walking down cardio and trying to stay as lean as possible while eating as many calories. And the ultimate goal in your mind is I want to eat like an off-season bodybuilder, but maintain an in-season bodybuilder's physique or close to it. And I mean, that, that that's, that's the pie in the sky, best of both worlds scenario. And when you're really, really hungry, you're kind of like catering to your own neuroses with it. You've been, like you said, all focused in on getting the best physique you can. And then also this growing neuroses inside of you that's biological of being incredibly food focused and really only caring about eating. So the two things you only care about by the end of a prep for your sport focus reason and your biological response to what you had to do to get shredded are one, to look amazing and to two, eat all food that tastes good. So of course, when someone comes out with the reverse diet strategy, it's neuroses driven and neuroses serving. The idea that, hey, you can have all this food would still be shredded. And then in the kind of the if, if it fits your macros culture, where we quantify uh, with these three numbers, uh, the amount of food you get to eat, and the more the better when you're starving, because it just means more meals, more time spent eating, more things to taste before you're quote unquote over maintenance and gaining weight. Uh, you know, you can, you can show a picture of someone with low macros in a shredded condition, and then nearly as shredded, or maybe even slightly bigger, because they filled out, but not quite as shredded, but so cl close enough that someone would still be happy with it, with twice the numbers and half the cardio, and it looks like this panacea, this great thing. The problem with that uh, is that it, it just doesn't paint a real picture of the experience. The qualitative aspect is incorrect. Um, the quantitatively, yeah, the, you will look like that. You will be that body fat percentage. You will have a little more muscle mass. Your glycogen will be higher, and you will be on twice the amount of calories and you know half half the food compared to the lowest low you got in prep. And I'm a great example of that. I was walking, I had 10,000 steps per day while I was consuming 12 to 1400 calories uh, while I was maintaining around 80 kilos body weight and looking shredded, um, but really beat up. That was during my like really, really tough phase. And at the end, I was same body weight, but looking much fuller, much bigger, much more symmetrical and actually a little leaner because of that. And I was consuming 24 to 2800 calories and only doing maybe five to 7,000 steps. So I did the reverse diet. I could be the poster boy for it from just that pure quantitative perspective. Um, you know, and that happened from uh, the last two weeks in June all the way through all of the month of July and the first two weeks in August. So I basically had more than two months of walking food up and watching my body just get better and better and better and my food get higher and higher and higher and then not even maintaining just a slightly off physique, but a shredded physique. 
So I did the perfect reverse diet. It was done. And I was still incredibly hungry, not sleeping through the night, had no libido, slowly losing strength and having difficulty making progress in the gym, having the ability to, you know, produce more work just because of eating, but the actual performance and force production was starting to tail off right at the end. I maintained strength for a while, and then eventually I just think you're in a state where you just can't sustain it. So obviously when your testosterone's in the toilet and you can't sleep for more than four hours straight, you're not going to be putting on muscle. I, I regained lost muscle. I regained lost glycogen. I looked really good, but I was kind of on this precipice where I noticed right towards the end in August, I was starting to have more symptoms of of like relative energy deficiency syndrome. And, um, you know, my hormones are getting a little wacky. My, my digestion was getting a little wackier. I was just experiencing like weirdness. My body wasn't responding as well to high carb days the way I, they were previously. Like refeeds were not quite producing a consistent result, I should say. I'd have odd water retention. Like sometime in July was great. You know, this had been, my body was like, awesome. You're increasing food. You're increasing food. This is great. This is great. This is great. And then it was like, okay, you stopped increasing food and you're not gaining any body fat. I thought we were on the same page here. What are you doing to me? And then, then it's just, the wheels started to fall off. And it literally was like in the last couple of weeks of my prep. Uh, so it was a good timing when I shut it down. So I did the reverse diet and I can tell you that it doesn't matter how much you eat if you keep yourself in, a, in an unreasonably lean condition. It, it's, that's not sustainable. Or if it is sustainable, it's at the cost of other things. You know, um, your, your body will, will be shutting down other departments <laughs> to keep the, uh, the, the, the lights on per se. And some, some of those departments that get closed down or, or, or minimally staffed are directly relevant to bodybuilding, like your, your hormonal production, your ability to recover and sleep, you know, your ability to progress and grow new muscle in the gym, you know, et cetera. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the status, when you look at the, the hormones and the physiological markers of someone in stage condition are the polar opposite of what you actually want for the big picture goal of bodybuilding. Um, so it's not a phase you want to maintain or drag out. And if you spend this you know, this, this eight week period or 10 week period that I was in this really perfect reverse diet. Um, you know, if I was a non-competitor, someone would look at that and go, you know, what are you doing? You're that's, that's, that's more than two months where you're just not able to build muscle and probably maybe losing a little bit at the end or coming back down the other side of the hill kind of thing. So the reverse diet was fantastic for what it was. And it was a really, really enjoyable time of that prep where I was just in shock that every day I was waking up looking like I could step on stage. I, I was peaked for like, the whole month of, of July and August, it was just pretty cool. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where I wasn't too worried about what we did the night prior and the day of the show or what my, what am I doing a backload or a front load? Should I have high sodium, low sodium? I knew that if I just did what I was doing, I was just walking around consistently looking my best ever or really close to it. So uh, that, that provided a certain level of confidence. I really got used to my physique looking really good. I was um, in some form of stage condition, whether you're like, let's, let's say for different divisions, like probably in February, I could have gotten on stage as like a men's fitness competitor. Uh, March and April, I was in appropriate shape for being a uh, you know, classic physique. And then basically from uh, June on, I was in pristine bodybuilding condition. So I had been essentially in amazing shape for, for all intents and purposes from late February all the way through August. So I definitely got used to being shredded and that being my physique and just really, really enjoying it. And that provided, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, um, 
training in the gym, I was wearing, you know, short shorts and cutoffs pretty much all the time. And that would actually improve my performance. Like mirrors, I would be like, oh my God, I look like this. I cannot believe it. It was a, it was a really cool experience. I loved it. And it's an aspect of bodybuilding that's a lot of fun, you know, turning uh, your physique into a, a work of art after, uh, man, you know, 15 years of training and finally starting to look like some of the folks who inspired you to originally get in, get into it after more than a decade of work. Um, that's a really, really cool thing. However, like you said, um, once the season is over and once it is no longer time to be on stage, and in my case, knowing that the if I want to improve my external rewards from the sport, placing higher, competing at the pro level, getting my not only just you know my PNBA pro card, but getting to become a WNBF pro and the most competitive, uh, best organized organization in my opinion for natural bodybuilding, it's going to primarily the biggest thing I need to improve is my overall muscularity. Um, that means I got to get back into a state where I can grow muscle, and I knew that, but at the same time. Man, I felt like the the state I was in in February, March, I could have sustained almost indefinitely. Like I think I could walk around if I hadn't done so much trauma to get down to like 79, 80 kilos. Like if I had just hung around 83, 82, where I was at my first show, I could have probably done a little one month recovery diet, gotten back up to 86 and maintained. It. I think that's kind of like the low end of my settling point with the behaviors I have. Not a great place for me to probably gain muscle. But if I was just like a, uh, if I was a fitness model or just an Instagram personality, <laughs> you know, and I just lived off looking great, um, I could probably do that. But I couldn't because I pushed further and the, the pendulum had swung back so far that I was still experiencing elements of diet fatigue and I wasn't fully recovered until now walking up even 10 kilos past that, hanging around 95. Because um, I got to 86 and I was still damn hungry and I was still not sleeping through the night and... Uh, not having a libido and uh, feeling worse at 86 on the way uh, up than I did on the way down, you know. So the uh, there, there's a certain time component to the trauma that you do to yourself when you get into really, really good shape that there's no getting around. If you look at some of the research on the recovery phase, um, right around half the time it took in most case studies for the person to get really, really lean, do they get around to that point where they're um, where they should be as far as like normal ranges for everything? And that's kind of where I'm at now. So um, and it's almost like you, in my opinion, uh, if you want to do this in a healthy way possible, as healthiest way possible post show is you set up a plan that is uh, that's actually achievable. You don't give yourself unrealistic goals. That's the problem with the reverse diet is that very few people can stick to it. And then it becomes this kind of uh, yo-yo near bulimic relationship with food is you're trying to only eat a little bit more, but your body is telling you to eat a lot more. And then you try to compensate and it becomes this terrible mess. But if you're doing it right, you know, um, and you give yourself this 1500 calorie bump, cut your cardio out completely, and you still binge on top of that, I almost look at that as okay, then you needed that binge. You know, if if we added 1500 calories to your maintenance and you ate 2500 calories over your maintenance, man, you must have really needed some food, you know. Um, and the binges are much fewer and far between. I actually didn't have any day that I would qualify as a binge the entire, um, you know, recovery diet phase. So these last 18 weeks, I don't think I had a single day that was, uh, you know, maybe, maybe 4,000 calories or the highest I would have hit, but it was typically between three to four, which is not an unreasonable thing for a guy who walks around in the off season, you know, over 200 pounds. Um, so, so I think because I took this approach of aggressively, purposefully gaining uh, body fat to a reasonable level and allowing myself to auto-regulate the amount I ate based on hunger until 
I had satiety cues that were normal again and finding that that took me back to 95 instead of having a specific weight target, I do think I did it right and I feel a lot better. Am I a little higher in body fat in the off season than I think I need to be or would benefit from? Um, eventually, probably. And I might maybe in the new year uh, do a small mini cut because I kind of overshot where I started. But I think that's probably what needed to happen given what I put myself through to get to where I, where I was. That might change in the future. I don't know. Um, but it's it's just an interesting thing where the goal, what you do, where you get is more emergent than it is pre-planned when you do something like a recovery diet versus the, the reverse diet. And the reverse diet can have someone in the semi-restricted internally, uh, sorry, externally cued state hitting certain targets, trying to get to a certain stage weight, hitting certain numbers um, that can maintain a certain level of neuroticism and diet fatigue, even though you're not dieted for a long time. Uh, and that can interfere with the ability to make progress in the, in the off season. You know, I mean, if I wanted to make some physiological guesses, I would, I would suppose that you're a lot of the, some, not a lot, maybe some of the physiological markers that in, interfere with muscle gain are going to be elevated in a reverse diet, uh, just because of the mental stress, like your cortisol levels will be a lot higher than you'd expect. I bet your sleep would probably be messed up a bit. Um, and, uh, you probably not see performance go as well in the gym. So, I mean, yeah, there, there's, you can have that kind of idyllic story of I'm only five kilos over stage weight, looking great and looking bigger, not shredded, but still super lean and what most people would die to look like. And I'm on twice the calories. Uh, and I, but it took me three months to do it and I'm eh, borderline eating disorder and I haven't really put on any new muscle. I've just regained all of my lost muscle and maintained more leanness. And that's, I mean, if that's the goal, are you a competitive bodybuilder or are you just someone who wants to have a lot of Instagram followers. And I think uh, that that's just something you need to really ask yourself. And I struggle with that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to sound holier than thou. I multiple times found myself really displeased with what I look like and uh, needed to remind myself that I should be focused on getting healthy, the gym, progress, and that the way I looked, although it was making me unhappy now, I didn't care at all. In, in 2018, you know, in March when I was 100 kilos and I was a little little puffy in my face, you know, um, I was still at a healthy body fat. My blood work was great. I wasn't, you know, ugly by any means or anything like that. I just wasn't really lean, you know. Who cares if I'm 19% body fat? That's, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that unless you're trying to get on a bodybuilding stage. And it was difficult to sh turn that uh, that ship around to where that wasn't my entire focus. And even when it objectively wasn't, and logically I could say there's no benefit to me being you know, four, five, six, seven, even eight or 9%. There's no benefit to it except for just that society tells you it's a good way to look. Like I'm a competitive bodybuilder. My goal is to be good at my sport. So I need to do what's right. But it was really hard to watch it fade away. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you mentioned um, the fact that you could probably have maintained maybe 86 kilos if you didn't push yourself this far. Because I rem remember us talking about this when I interviewed you back in April, maybe when you were in the middle of your prep. And then you mentioned that on your high, higher calorie days, you feel just like in the off season, even though you were walking around that, I don't know, whatever, eight, nine percent body fat, or I don't know what, where you were at that time. And um, so now you have this clarity and now you can reflect on everything objectively. But as you were going through the weight, weight gain process and as you were seeing your shreddedness kind of fading away, did you at any point have not just um, kind of a disliking to the process of seeing those shreds go away, but a little bit of like resentment towards yourself or kind of being upset with your lack of ability to control yourself or something like that? And I'm, I'm not asking this 
as like how you how you're thinking about it now, but in that mindset that in that state where you were at that specific time? It was basically, I would say, so a couple things. Uh, when I, when we had that podcast back in, in April, I think those were true statements. It was just that um, to go from, you know, 9% to 5% or 6% uh, was, it pushed the pendulum so far that when it swung back, it was no longer, there, there would be a required amount of time of being in a surplus before I'd be able to have a normal relationship with food and not be hungry and feel on those high days like it was the off season. Um, because it did feel like the off season when I was on a refeed, when I was walking around at 83 or 84. But when I was on a refeed, when I was at 79 or 80 kilos, I felt just as hungry. I just had more food, you know, yeah. um, and I was interested in eating more. And, um, and that didn't come back until I was far past where I was, where it was normal. So it's one of those things where um, it wasn't even a lack of objectivity at that time. It was a different physiological reality and psychological reality, I think. Um, and to answer the rest of your question, there was, I think the best way I could describe it was that I had these two kind of warring voices. There was the part of me that knew what, what was what made a lot of sense. And there was the emotional part of me that was really struggling uh, with with letting go of, of my physique and the things like the, the part of me that realized, Hey, you could have walked around 86. What's, what's the problem here? Like I thought we decided the leaner off season would be ideal. Um, and then the other voice made me go, well, yeah. And if we can do that, let's do it. But what makes no sense right now is to exert restraint on your eating after you've just been doing that for, uh, you know, nine months or eight months. And that's going to cause way more problems. And then the other voice to go, no, you're right. So kind of my rule um, was that I would not exert restraint. So I would try to adhere to my habits and, you know, do the things that, that, that I had always done. Um, but if the, the voice inside of me that just wanted more food kept coming out, I would eventually go, okay, sure. And I, I wouldn't feel bad about it. That was kind of the, 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 the agreement I made with myself. So for example, I would have my quote unquote default diet, my certain meals, and I wouldn't eat, eat outside of them. But if we wanted to go get Indian or, or Sri Lankan or uh, have pizza or, or get something that would uh, be outside of my typical kind of way of eating, um, we would do it. And I would just replace one of my meals. And then occasionally, you know, I'd, I'd want dessert after that. And I'd go, oh, you don't need dessert. You've, you probably had plenty. I go, okay. And then that was the end of the conversation, I'd say, on eight out of ten days. But two out of ten days, an hour later, I'd be like, no, I really want dessert. And at that point... I wouldn't fight it anymore. I go, okay, cool. And I'd look over at my wife and be like, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about getting some dessert. Are you interested? And, you know, or she would sometimes say yes, but other times be like, no, I'm good. And I, you know, go downstairs and and then, then I would go, okay, do I want to solo go to a dessert place on my own on the street we live on? And that sometimes would be like, nah, that's not worth the hassle. I don't want to bother. And that would eliminate many of those, those times too without feeling restraint. But sometimes it would just be like, well, shit, I'm st I, I want a donut. I'm going to get a donut. I'm going to get a donut by myself and I'm not going to feel guilty and it's going to be great. And I'd come back and I'd have, you know, a donut or two or something like that. And um, I did not feel guilt about those, uh, about those, or those, those moments. And I didn't feel like I couldn't restrain myself. So your question of uh, did I berate myself for not being restrained? No, because I didn't actually exert restraint. Um and that was a very purposeful decision because I knew I was very capable of exerting a small amount of restraint and not having any of those moments. I could have stuck to, uh, I could have reverse dieted. I did a reverse diet in 2011 and I looked up one day, I was 10 pounds over stage weight and I was like, why am I doing this? You know, I'm not progressing 
and I'm kind of just food focused all the time. And it's 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 bloody November, and I, I got off stage in in August. This this is dumb. And then I then I put on ten pounds and got up to two hundred, and I felt way better. And I was like, I should have done this a month ago, you know. Um, so I I knew that I could very easily uh, exert restraint and not feel guilty about blowing it because I wouldn't. I was at that stage in my um, in my career where the the ability to exert a restraint was was good you know and good is, is bad you know like like you don't want to be exerting a bunch of restraint after exerting restraint that can really lead to burnout or, or negative relationships with with food or your body or, or other people um, for example in 2011 when I did that reverse diet I did have one binge and um, you know I let go when it happened I, I framed it properly I, I reflected. But the fact that I had a binge tells you something, you know, um, the fact that this time I didn't restrain and I didn't binge at all. I had days where I went out and I had exactly what I wanted. I got a cookie and a donut, came back and ate it, and then I went to bed. That's very different than not feeling in control. That's not, that's not just eating a lot. A binge isn't defined by the number of calories you consume. It's defined by the behaviors around it and the perceptions you have and the frame of mind you're in. And in 2011, that one binge I had postseason, it was a binge because I didn't want to eat the food, but I did, and I ate more, and I didn't feel like I was in control. And I looked back on it, and I was like, huh. And that was another one of those alarm bells to me that saying, hey, you're still exerting restraint postseason. You know, you're, you're, you're not objectively in a deficit right now, but you're certainly in the mentality of a deficit. Um, so I think that that's, that's kind of the answer to your question is that the goal of, in my opinion, post-season, post-contest uh, prep, um, you want to avoid binging, but that shouldn't occur through exerting restraint. Um, and I think that's where people really get uh, caught up around this is that um, they want to do the reverse diet, which is objectively, you know, eventually <laughs> a calorie surplus and you do gain some weight and some body fat. But the whole goal of it is to maintain a certain physique and to not allow yourself to eat too much food or to binge or to gain a lot of weight. Um, and that requires restraint. Um, and I think the perspective of a recovery diet is that you have just put yourself through trauma. Um, you are in a semi-starved state. The normal biological response to that is to eat a lot. It's hyperphagia, to be incredibly hungry and not be full until you've regained some body weight and been in a calorie surplus for a while and removed that state of, uh, of, of low energy availability uh, and restored a, a whatever amount in your body wants over what time period of body fat. And you will actually binge less by us providing that as the goal and having that stance so in my experience, telling someone who just was down on 1,800 calories to eat 2,500 calories and do, you know, three cardio sessions instead of five will produce more binging and a higher total net calorie surplus than telling someone after that to go to 3,500 calories and do no cardio. Because the person in the latter scenario will be sticking to that 80, 90% of the time. And when they go off, it'll be a dessert not a day of eating desserts like it is in the first case. And they're not going to be then trying to then go back down in calories and then have even bigger binge the next next day uh, in, in response. So the it's, it's this kind of ironic thing. It's the difference between the intended goal and the reality. And the reverse diet and a recovery diet sometimes produce the same total amount of calorie intake, the same rate of weight gain, the same amount of fat. But because you're constantly failing on the reverse diet, you feel terrible. Uh, you beat yourself up, 
It, you're, you're not psychologically getting better. You're getting worse. While on the recovery diet, because it's part of the plan, you're succeeding. You're at least meeting the goal. And you might have some reservations and some regrets and wish that you could stay leaner. But that's very different than beating yourself up every time you binge and break your reverse diet plan and feeling like you don't have any willpower, uh, that you're not a real bodybuilder, that you failed, uh, and, and making your body image issues uh, worse than they were even during prep. Yeah. And, and the thing that makes it even more complicated, I guess, is that like in your case, I guess, because you know yourself, you've had several diets before and you've had also experience with kind of how your own individual psyche is operating under those conditions. So for you, it was probably a little bit easier to kind of know what you can expect from yourself if you do this and that. But for example, you mentioned that well, if you binge during a recovery diet, then maybe you actually needed that binge if even under those conditions you binge. But for someone, I guess, who is new to all of this, it can be very scary mm. just the idea of, man, like, where does this road lead to? You know, like, if, oh, yeah. if you're new to this, like, like, like for example, under, after my diet, at a certain point, I basically just gave myself the, the, the unconditional permission to eat as much like fruits and veggies as I want, like zero tracking or restriction. And man, the amount of those that I could put down and, and, and at a certain point I admitted it to myself that, you know what? I want to feel disgustingly stuffed after my meals. Like I, <laughs> I just feel like I need this experience after this diet. I've been so restricted for so long. I didn't have this feeling. I want to feel uncomfortable. I know that this is not healthy, but I just need this. And mm-hmm. man, I was afraid that at a certain point that if I continue like this, I'm going to eat myself to obesity on fruits and veggies. And of course it didn't happen, but it was pretty scary for a while. So yeah, like, um, what do you think of what I just said? Oh, I experienced that exactly the same, but, I, but it wasn't fruits and veggies, man. It was like pizza and, and burgers in 07. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Um, like the, there's, there's in, in that moment, there's, there's no, there's nothing to indicate to you that that will stop, you know? Like um, you were hungry during the diet and then you're just as hungry, in fact, a little more when you start taking in these hyper palatable foods. You're, you're now like going, oh my God, like I really enjoyed my chicken and broccoli. And like one thing I used to say during my prep this season was I'm fine. I just would like a second dinner. Like I'd sit down and have like a mostly egg white one egg omelet with, you know, Parmesan low fat cheese and a bunch of veggies baked into it with a salad. And I go, that was delicious. I would like to have that. 100 a meal 100 a second time like mm-hmm. everything again like just give me another 400 calorie meal and i'd be very happy and that's a strong drive right uh and you're enjoying your food you're eating slowly you're really focused on it and then you think okay well when I, once i gain some body fat and once i'm actually having that other 400 calories or maybe even a real omelet not egg whites i'll be great and i i won't be so focused on it. i'll be i'll be solid but the reality is is that you you're in that same position but now you've gained five kilos of fat in a month um, and you're eating not just that that freaking egg white omelet. You're actually out at a restaurant having a full-blown meal with an appetizer and dessert, and you still want a second dinner. Yeah. And you sometimes do, and that's why you're gaining you know a kilo of body fat a week. And at the time, there's no real signs that that's ever going to end. Yeah. Um, and f- you know, for example, in 07, I went from uh, 80 kilos on stage to 102 kilos in two months. And somewhere along that two-month line, I was like, I, I'm actually going to be obese. Like, this is, I'm two months away from, from being, not looking like I lift at all, not just looking like a linebacker, you know. Um, 
and I was I was I was mortified. I was really scared, and I had um, I did have symptoms that would have you know qualified as binge eating syndrome, and um, I was just on the verge of seeking out psychological help before finally I started to feel satiated after after meals. I saw my behavior return. And that just goes to show you that even though I wasn't anywhere near shredded, I didn't have split hamstrings or glute striations. Um, I was lean-ish, you know, but I I was like so traumatized by what I had done to get there my first time around that, yeah, uh, I, I put on, you know, 48 pounds in two months. Uh, and that was a really, really scary experience, you know, 22 kilos in two months for non-Americans listening. And that was something where I, in, in the moments I had no idea and it was, it was intimidating. So I think the benefit of experience, like you're saying, is, you know, there is an end to that road. Um, but it is going to be a, the combined factors of what habits do you have in place? Um, what approach do you take post-show? How lean did you get? What approach did you take during your contest prep? How big was your deficit? How long was your deficit? Um, and then how restrictive was your diet? What was your approach during the diet? What was your relationship with food like? You know, how much of an excursion from your normal life was it? You know, did you stop eating out completely and only ate from a list of 10 foods? Man, you're going to probably swing back a lot harder than if you were able to incorporate uh, you know, eating out and, and eating a lot of your normal foods, but just modifying portion size or doing things like swapping out eggs for egg beaters, etc. Um, and so, and, and there's only so much of that that's modifiable, you know? So like, for example, in some perfect world, uh, I, I could imagine where I was really, really interested in competing as a men's physique competitor, let's say, and getting to the kind of leanness I was at, say in February, I could have had a eight week diet, um, eight, eight or 10 week diet with a diet break in the middle, and then maintained literally one kilo over stage weight, and that would have been fine. You know, I don't know how good that'd be for muscle gain in the long run, but it wouldn't have been difficult. And I'd be listening to this podcast going, what the hell is this guy talking about? Um, but not really, because I wouldn't have been able to get there without my prior experience. So I think all the things that go into what contest prep is, your methods, your experience, your perspective, uh, your attitude towards the methods, you know, because you can definitely take a quote unquote flexible dieting approach, but if you're neurotic as hell about it all, or it's super, super new, or you don't go back to some of those elements in the off season, um, then it can become a blowout. And uh, so, yeah, I think, I think it, all of that goes into this complex puzzle of where you end up post-show and, and how you feel about it. Um, and you're more likely to see experienced competitors be the folks who are kind of close to stage shape in the off season if they want to be, you know. Uh, for example, Alberto Nunez is a, a great case study where after his last season, he felt like that first year, he just stayed too lean, didn't make a lot of progress. Like he looked great. He was hanging around the 170s and it was no problem. But he was like, I just never really got to increase my lows to the point of where they'd been previously. I don't think I was able to actually to provide, you know, a stimulus. And now he's like working very hard to get into the, you know, the 190s and and struggling to get out of the 180s off and on and uh, feeling like he's making a lot of really good progress and kind of as he reflects on some of his posts in 2019. So it's, you do eventually get to this kind of mythical place that's pretty almost reserved for like fitness models and bodybuilders who are intentionally doing it right to where you could, you know, make your, your quote unquote settling point, which is the combination of physiology and behavior, so behaviorally modified that it might actually be suboptimal for your off season to where you could, um, without exerting conscious restraint, um, walk around really lean. 
Um, but that probably shouldn't be the goal if you're still trying to improve your physique. Yeah, man, it, it's it's such a fascinating topic because there is so many other aspects which, like, I'm sure we could get into and have a whole separate discussion over it. But I think just, for example, the post-diet weight gain, how you frame it to yourself probably also modifies how likely it is to have frequent binges. Like, I'm pretty convinced, for example, that in, in your case in 2007, if you could take an identical twin, so identical physiology, having been through the same diet, but that guy would have said like, bro, I need to bulk because I, I need to put on a lot of body weight because uh, that's how I'm going to put on a lot of muscle because I'm going to have this amazing rebound effect and probably maybe would have started off with the same calorie intake that you were starting out with at the time. I would bet that that person would have stopped binging a lot sooner than you did at the time, but you just had this internal kind of resentment and you were trying to make up for it and that just prompted this whole negative spiral like i, I would bet that that would be the case actually that, that's funny that was my goal um i think the problem i had was that i didn't have any off-season behaviors or habits the coming from being a skinny kid going into bodybuilding um the only off-season diet i knew was just eat everything i didn't have any conception that i could actually get fat you know or overweight or, or too high in body fat for bodybuilding goals. And I actually did in, in 2000, I think five, 2000, early 2006, before I ever dieted for my 07 season, a couple of my friends had said, you're getting really big, dude. And I'm like, yeah, right. Isn't it awesome? And they're like, I mean, like not just big, but like big everywhere. Like you're, you're getting a little chunky. And I'm like, oh yeah, am I? And like, I just wasn't objectively able to tell that I had gained a ton of body fat along with uh, my newbie gains of muscle. Um, and I remember I did a, my first attempt at like kind of a, do like a mock contest prep. I dieted from uh, 220 pounds or 100 kilos uh, down to, I think, geez, I must have been 195, just under 200 pounds. I lost like 20 pounds. And um, I thought I'd be shredded once I lost 20 pounds because I just, again, always been the skinny kid. And I lost 20 pounds and I was basically at a good point to start a contest prep. <laughs> like I, I thought I was at 15% body fat because I had my top four abs, which apparently I always have now I've learned. Um, and if I lost 20 pounds, I'd be in stage shape. And what actually happened is I lost 20 pounds and I was 20 pounds over stage shape. So that was a, the first eye-opening moment in 2006. Uh, and I was like, oh, maybe I just don't need to be that heavy. And, you know, I started my prep a little leaner. But the only skill set I had for off-season eating was just eat everything all the time, eat big. You know, like I was reading, you know, blogs by like super heavyweight powerlifters. Uh, like the West Side guys were the powerlifting voices at that time. And the IFBB pros were the only folks who were getting any kind of social media coverage because there wasn't any social media. So you read muscle and fitness and you read the diets of these guys who compete in 260 pounds and they're like contest prep diet is you know, 500 calories, probably more than my off season diet should have been. So I thought it was very normal to be eating, you know, 4,000 calories in the off season. And um, so without having any kind of plan or structure until I started contest prepping, I just thought, okay, well, counting macros, weighing foods and doing all that, that's a contest prep thing. And then, you know, off season is just eat. So my only plan uh, was get huge. And I had a list of restaurants and then I got way more than huge and I started to look worse, you know, and I was like, oh my God, now I got to control it. And that's when I tried to apply all this restraint was sometime when I was around, when I'd rapidly gotten to, you know, 15, 20 pounds over stage shape. And I was like, okay, this is good. It should slow down. 
and I was just gaining weight ra- so rapidly, and I, I, I just couldn't figure out what was going on. I couldn't stop it, and when I tried to stop it, it would make it worse. So that was kind of what happened to me, was um, was I looked up one one day, and I was like, oh my God, I'm way past where I should have been. And the reason it's been better in preps after that was just because I had some kind of semblance of uh, off-season habits, you know, not necessarily, well, at first it was, you know, track macros all the time. Um, but then now these, these days now it's become, you know, kind of like have a, a bodybuilding habit base, which was something that was very common before the, if it fits your macros era, but that was kind of systematically rooted out by people saying, Hey, you can have whatever you want just by tracking. Uh, and then that causing its own host of problems. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, just one thing I want to clarify to the listeners is that, um, the fact that I allow myself to eat unlimited fruits and veggies, that's not because I'm such an android that, uh, that's my form of cheat meal, eating a lot of fruits and veggies. It is because I was aware of case studies like yours and I knew what could happen if I just let myself to eat Mm. whatever I want, you know, like without any kind of restraint. So I was like, I want to eat a lot, so let's make it the least damaging kind of way possible. So I think in that sense, it was a good call. Mm-hmm. But I'm not such a robot that I, I would consider eating a lot of fruits and veggies a cheat meal in general, <laughs> just to make it that clear. Um, I gotcha. Yeah. So Eric, um, yeah, this is a fascinating discussion, and I like I, I could talk to you about this for another hour, but uh, maybe it's a good time to kind of stop uh, with things. Maybe one final question is like, kind of, what are your your plans? as far as like your bodybuilding and kind of physique or just sport related pursuits are concerned. Um, now you're recovered. You're, you said that you're very close to being a hundred percent. So, um, what kind of plans did you make for yourself as far as like lean gains are concerned and mini cutting you mentioned potentially in the future. So what are the plans for me? I make the best progress in my physique and overall when I'm just loving it and I'm just loving the process. And, um, so to me, I wanted to get to a place where I was loving my training and that was first and foremost. And then as a, something that emerges from that would be an improved physique. So I thought about what goals get me really, really excited. And for anyone who knows me, I love anything related to weightlifting <laughs> um, and lifting weights, I should say. And one of the things that I've wanted to get back into uh, that I wasn't sure I would be able to with the neck injury I sustained and that I've been... God, just so ecstatic to, fi- ecstatic to find that I can uh, is to get back into weightlifting and then to try my hand at strongman. Now that there's a really great, um, uh, there, there's 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 a, a New Zealand strongman series that uh, Chris Latham puts on here in Auckland or broad, broadly in New Zealand has grown tremendously in the last couple of years, and he has uh, just done a really good job promoting and running uh, strongman shows and strongman competitions in New Zealand. It's something that I saw that I really liked. And now that strongman has changed and there are like, there's like an under 80 kilo weight class, there's an under 90, there's an under 105, and then there's an open uh, weight class for in, in the strongman comps. And um, weightlifting has restructured itself. So there's an under 89, under 96, and under 102 weight class. And then powerlifting in the IPF, uh, which there's a federation here, is still uh, under 83 and under 93. So the my goal was I really wanted to get back into training a lot more of the the movements and the disciplines for for the iron game. So I spent a lot of time really, really having fun with the logistical challenge of having kind of a baseline program of getting better at strongman bodybuilding, powerlifting, and weightlifting simultaneously. Um, So it basically looks like the movement patterns that I select 
uh, that I are kind of non-negotiables are some of the basic movements of those sports. So I include, I have a day where I do clean and jerk and snatch. You know, I have multiple days where I do squats, bench, and deadlift. Uh, and then I have a day where I do, I rotate, I rotate through a bunch of different strongman, uh, implements and, and training, which basically looks like I pick something off the ground. Uh, I carry something and I put something over my head and then I rotate it through. And then I have a bunch of bodybuilding accessories to fill in all the gaps. And I, you know, I look at the appropriate amount of volume that I need to do. And I try to figure out what's the best compromise for all of it. And then once I am close to a competition, I'll specialize. So I've been uh, basically looking at the, the my goal for 2020 is I'd like to do a weightlifting meet and improve my prior total back from when I was competing in 2013, 2014. A powerlifting meet and improve my total. The last competition I did was 2016. That's going to be the hardest one to do because I have a much more, I'm probably a lot closer to my ceiling of, of powerlifting strength than I am for weightlifting or, or strongman. So that'll probably be towards the end of the year. And then to do a full strongman competition, like a full four or five event medley, because uh, I've only done a couple static comps with one or two events. So anyway, that's my 2020 goal to do one of each and not get hurt. Um, and, um, you know, but also to be having bodybuilding in the background. So I'm still doing, you know, curls, pull downs, lateral raises, rows, all that stuff. Uh, and just more so thinking about where is the the marriage between those uh, those different goals. So the type of row I select or the type of pull down or uh, where I get my pressing volume from. Oh, I can use bench press a lot. I can use overhead pressing uh, so that I am still, you know, improving my physique, uh, you know, holistically, um, but making sure that in that process, I'm also getting stronger on those movements. And that challenge itself really excites me. So I'm having a ton of fun with that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I'm going to do that. So uh, and I'm basically not going to compete in bodybuilding again until I'm just really excited to do it. And I think I've made strides in my physique. So maybe 2023, you know, my, my year I turned 40 or something like that. But in the meantime, I'd like to see uh, how far I can take being a, uh, like a three sport strength athlete. Awesome. That sounds like a plan to me, at least. So I'm excited. Yeah. No, awesome, man. Uh, so yeah, it, this has been a really cool discussion, and I'm sure that the listeners have taken a lot of value from it. And even if the said listener is not a bodybuilder per se, I think a lot of the principles will apply to just any kind of diet, because ultimately everybody has a personal best in terms of getting leaner, whatever that might be. And these principles will apply to those diets in one shape or form, even if the magnitudes are smaller. So um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing everything that you've shared and for being as honest as you have been, because um, mm. some of these are kind of touchy subjects potentially. Uh, so this has been this has been really cool, yeah. Um, so please just let people know where uh, they can get up on every cool new project that you have. Uh, I'm sure you have some new stuff in the pipeline, so please plug everything away. Absolutely, and I appreciate the opportunity and just the, uh, the discussion. So the best place to find... Uh, the stuff that I'm passionate about is uh, 3dmusclejourney.com. That's the number three, the letter D, then musclejourney.com. And from there, you can find links to uh, MASS, our research review that I do with Dr. Eric Trexler and Dr. Zardos and Greg Knuckles. Uh, you can find links to the Muscle and Strength Pyramids, uh, the second edition of my books that uh, we've now got in multiple different languages. And also you can get as a physical copy on Amazon. Um, but those are the, the everything you need to know as a competitive strength or physique athlete. And even if you're not competitive, you're recreational. It's the uh, kind of the one-stop shop for everything you'd want to know uh, about that process from nutrition to training to the mentality uh, to long-term outcomes to short-term peaking. 
And um, then you can also find our, our coaching through 3D Muscle Journey, our blog, our podcast. Uh, the only other things that aren't there uh, would be if you want to find the Iron Culture podcast, which we're actually coming up into the almost at our 50th episode now, Omar, Yusuf, and I, where we talk about history, science, and culture. Uh, you can find that on Spotify, iTunes, or YouTube. Uh, and uh, then if you want to get more daily content, uh, I, I do a fair bit of, uh, of musing and posting fun stuff, science, culture, history, the whole nine on my Instagram, and that's at Helms3DMJ. Awesome. So we'll be sure to check all of those things out. And I want to thank you once again, Eric. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you, man. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, then please, once again, consider dropping a five-star rating on iTunes. It would mean a lot to me and it would be truly helpful. And if you're interested in more cool stuff, then you could visit my YouTube channel. If you type in sustainable self-development podcast there or even SSD podcast, it will come up. And if you're interested in working together with me, then you can check out the Calendly link in the show description. There you can book a free call with me. We can hop on that call, chat about your goals, challenges, determine if we are a good fit. And if that is the case, then we could be working together going forward to get you to the results that you want. So that's all I had to say for today. I hope you enjoyed this once again. And with that, see you next time.